If you could remain standing and take your Bibles with me and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then we'll get into the message today. I've titled the message today, Soon and Very Soon. We shall see the king. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. In other words, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't want you to be in the dark about what I'm going to tell you right now. I don't want you to be uninformed. I have an obligation to tell you. You have an obligation to know what I'm going to talk about. Concerning those who have fallen asleep. That's a polite way of saying Christians who have died. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be in the dark about brothers and sisters who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. You know, there's a a world of difference between a Christian funeral and a worldly funeral. A Christian funeral may be sad, and it should be sad to a degree. Underneath it, there's a hope and there's a joy that our loved one has gone on to be with our Father. Whereas in the world, it's, it's, there's no hope, there's brokenness, there's, there's just a terrible thing. But, but as a Christian dies, it's a time of actually rejoicing. So, uh, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe that. Can I get an amen right here? We believe Jesus died and rose again. Uh, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Okay, so what does that mean? So Jesus, he died, he rose again, but he will bring with him when he comes back a second time, those who sleep, those who died in Christ, in faith. He'll bring back those who have died before us. He'll bring them back when he comes back for the second coming. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. This is not my opinion. This is not Paul saying, this is not from a book I read. Somebody didn't tell me this. I heard from God on this one. This is right from the heart of God. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So now we have a little bit of a dilemma. Because we have those that are asleep are in the ground, yet those that are asleep are coming back with Jesus. So how do we reconcile that? Well, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And the the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first from the grave. And they will meet, their body will meet their spirit that's with the Lord in the air. New body. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up That's where the word rapture comes from. Caught up, transferred, transformed, changed in a a moment's time with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Father, God, in the name of Jesus, we pray your blessing over this message today. Let it transform our lives, O God. Let it, let it inform us, prepare us, and equip us to be better Christian people, to be better witnesses of yours, to be better ministers of the gospel, each one of us. So we pray your Holy Spirit to come now, anoint me as I speak, anoint every ear to hear, every eye to see what you have for us this day, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. My first question for you is this. I mean, that, that was Andre Crouch, if you didn't know. This song has been going on since the late 70s. I, I see a baby in the sanctuary. Joe and Bethany. Hallelujah. Did you just come in? All right, I didn't think I saw you. And the baby's name is? Silas. As in Paul and Silas. Praise the Lord. Glad you are here. Glad all is well. Let's give them a warm welcome today. <laughs> well, if you're watching on live stream, there's a new baby in the church this, after, uh, this morning. Uh, the NATOs have a ba- little baby boy. and Everything is well. Praise the Lord. All right. So my question for you today is, do you really believe that Jesus is coming? I mean, Andre sang it in the 70s. You know, the the Protestants say, you know, we shall see the king. 
The Catholics say Christ has died, risen, and will come again a second time. But do you really believe that to be the case? I, 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 I want to encourage you that we believe this wholeheartedly, 100%, that Jesus Christ is coming back. And we, we would add the word soon to it as well. As each preceding generation has, we must live with the expectation that we'll see Jesus' return in our lifetime. That is a biblical expectation. It's not strange or weird. It's been going on for 2,000 years. Every generation of Christian people believed that they would see Christ in their lifetime. Today, across the globe, we see catastrophic events happening that have people talking. Some people are saying, what is God doing in all this? Some people are saying, where is God? Some people are saying, something's got to give. Something's got to change. There's too much pressure, too much stress, too much uncertainty. And I I think earth is burning out. Think with me for a minute. And it's hard to imagine this when we're from this part of the state of Massachusetts, but we can, if we think about it, we can get it. Sometimes when I drive through uh, Massachusetts or New Hampshire, I see lots of forests and trees and woods. I see lots of space. But there are many areas of the world that are totally overcrowded. Think of China. Think of India. Think of Pakistan. Think of some of our major cities in the States that have 10 million people, 12 million people in one large city area. Uh, there's overcrowdedness all over the place. Think of Pollution. Think of water pollution, air pollution. Um, think of plastic bags being found in the middle of the ocean somewhere way out in the Atlantic, mile, you know, thousands of miles away that are killing fish and sea life under the ocean. Think about on the news just a, a week or two ago, I, I heard that there was a woman in New York that went to lower Manhattan. Uh, and she, if you go to lower Manhattan, you could look across the Hudson River and see the Statue of Liberty. Well, she had the brainstorm to swim from there to the Statue of Liberty. And she did. No one was concerned about how far it was. They were concerned that she jumped in the water that was totally polluted and she could have got a disease and died from that. That's how polluted the water is. Think about the lack of food and, and water and medical care in many parts of the world, even in our own country. Think about wars and civil unrest that's even happening here, but all over the world. Think about diseases. This pandemic we're dealing with, the ramifications of of that pandemic. On top of all that, I just find it interesting that there's these fires in California, California, Oregon, and Utah, I heard this morning, are burning. There's, okay, our property here for the church is a little less than four acres. This and that over there, a little less than four acres. We, we heard three million acres in California. Three million acres were burned with fire. How does that happen? And how, how do we not comment on that? That's a lot of land. I have a friend in Oregon that's telling me that they have ashes blowing their way from California. Now I hear Utah is burning. What, what is that? I also heard just a few weeks ago that California uh, passed legis- legislation to decriminalize pedophilia. And you have to wonder, is there a connection between the two things? There's hurricanes. We've got Hurricane Sally coming up right now in Florida, Louisiana. Hurricane Laura was here, destroying thousands of homes. Taking out electricity, food, supplies, and the whole deal. Now, and then we have riots in our streets all over the country, over the social unrest, racial unrest that's happening, often violent and destructive I heard on the news this morning, I think it was in California, someone walked up to a, a parked police car with a handgun, and there's a picture of him like this, firing into the, into the police cruiser, killing a policeman. And I think about what's happening in our country. Let me name the cities. Minneapolis, Atlanta, Boston had it, New York, Chicago, Dallas, Denver, Detroit, Houston, Los Angeles, Phoenix, Portland, Richmond, Seattle, St. Louis, and Washington, and other cities too. But we have riots going on since March in our country. And not to mention the the hateful rhetoric and political climate that's surrounding this presidential election uh, coming in November. I said it earlier this month, but let me say it again. Our provider is not Uncle Sam. 
our healer is not Mass Health or Obamacare or Blue Cross Blue Shield. Our deliverer is neither the Republican nor the Democratic Party. Our Savior is Jesus Christ. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And He's coming back. Amen. It's always best to focus on the Word of God when we go through difficult times. And you know what? There's always been difficult times. Think of the early church just for a second. A.D. 70, right? Jesus came and arose and ascended. The early church was birthed, Acts chapter 2. But by A.D. 70, Jerusalem was toppled. Jerusalem was basically destroyed. Many Christians thought that was the end of the world right there. But what did the church do? They buckled down and got into the Word of God. And they persevered. Think of some years after that, when persecution arose all over the Roman Empire, when Christians were literally thrown to the lions as sport, what did the church do? They didn't retreat, they got into the Word of God. And three basic things persevered during that time to this very day. The three things are the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the second coming of Christ. Those three areas are paramount to our faith. And so we, whatever we're dealing with or whatever we're, we're going through in this life, we always go back to the cross, the empty tomb, and the sound of the trumpet that's coming when Jesus returns. So this topic of the second coming, I, I want to I spend a few minutes to clarify what we're talking about. Paul talked about it in 1 Thessalonians 4, as we just read. Jesus taught about it, specifically in Matthew 24 and 25. John, the whole book of Revelation is about it. But the return of Jesus is not a singular event. It's a period of time. I I say that it has bookends, bookend events, a beginning and an end to it. And so the return of Jesus is also called the day of the Lord. It's also called the second coming, all used interchangeably. But what's going to happen is to signal the return of Jesus Christ. The first thing that's going to happen is the rapture of the church. That will signal the second coming of the Lord. Now you notice when we read 1 Thessalonians 4, when he comes back for the church, he does not come to the earth literally. We meet him in the air. So, So we're out of here. So then there's going to be a period of seven years, seven-year tribulation time. At the end of those seven years, we read in uh, Revelation 19 that Jesus will come back on a white horse, and his armies will be with him, that's us, and he'll establish order and peace at Armageddon, and and it will literally physically return to the earth to set up his kingdom on earth for a thousand-year reign. So we have have this picture, the second coming, uh, of like a, a time frame. First, he's coming for the saints. Then he's coming with the saints. So we're talking about the time when he's coming for the saints. We're talking about the rapture of the church. Jesus spoke about it. When he, when, before he was arrested, and that whole Passover meal, he, he said, you know, he said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. John 14, 2 and 3. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back to receive you with, with my, me, so that where I am, you may be also. And this is one little indication that Jesus was referring to, I'm going to prepare that place. But if I do, and I, I am, but if I do, I'm going to come back so that you can go where I am. You can go with me where I am. Paul mentions it in several places, but in addition to 1 Thessalonians 4, in 1 Thessalonians 15, he says, I tell you a mystery. I'm telling you something that's real spiritual. It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's mysterious in a sense. But he says, we will not all sleep. There's that word sleep again. We will not all die, but we'll all be changed for in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we who remain will be changed. He's talking about the rapture of the church. He says in Philippians chapter 3, one of my favorite verses, I love this. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Can I get an amen right there? You may think your P.O. box is where you really live or whatever. No, 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 no. That's all temporary. 980 Main Street is a temporary address for yours truly. My citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. Hallelujah. 
It says, for, for which we eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. Who's got a lowly body besides me? Sometimes I can't take my body anymore. I got pains here, there, and everywhere, and I have a lowly body. And if you don't have one, you're going to get one before too long. I'm not speaking prophetically. I'm just speaking a little bit of wisdom and age. Wisdom comes with age, right? So he will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to the glorious body. His glorious body will be changed from this mess into his glorious. We'll have a body like his. Oh, I can't wait. Lord, come today. Maranatha. Lord, come quickly. Amen. According to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. This is a, it's a mystery. It's like, it's like, oh, it's awe-inspiring. It's unusual. But this is the word of God. Anybody ready to go? I'm ready to go. And this is the normal expected teaching within the church. This is the normal teaching within the Christian church ever since the very beginning. In Acts 11, the angel, speaking of angels, said to the apostles, why are you looking at Jesus like that? Don't you know the same way he's coming up? He's going to come back down again in the same manner. He's going to come back again. In Corinthians, Paul wrote this to the Corinthian church. He said, I thank the Lord for you, Corinthians. I thank you. I thank the Lord for your testimony. I thank the Lord for how you're receiving God's grace. And I thank the Lord how you, are, how you eagerly await the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was part of his greeting to the church. I wonder if we could say that to every church today. I love the way you're transformed. I love the way you worship God. I love the way you love the word. And I love the way you're waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ. That was normal back then. I think it should be normal here. First Thessalonians 1, same thing with the Thessalonican church. The Lord, uh, Paul said, uh, you received the Lord with affliction and joy. I, I find that amazing and, and, and encouraging that they were afflicted on the outside, but they had joy on the inside. And they were saved. They were serving the Lord. They were examples to everybody in Macedonia through the whole world. And how they turned to God from idols to serve the, the Lord and to wait for his son from heaven. This was part of the church's testimony. They were known for waiting for the Lord to come back. And through the ages, through time frames, generations, every on-fire denomination, every on-fire church, every on-fire fellowship uh, had this consciousness, this awareness that Jesus is coming back. Every revival, if you study revivals, were always punctuated by this underlying truth that Jesus is coming back. So you better get ready. So this opens up a whole thing for us. And I want to talk to you today. I want to, I'm obviously taking a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I'm going to speak to you about Assembly of God doctrine, which is biblical doctrine. I want to give credit to uh, Inspiration Ministry, a woman by the name of Teresa Garcia, whose article I read that I got some information from as well. But I want to give you five things to think about why he could come at any time. So are you ready? There will be some teaching going on here and maybe some preaching thrown in, but it will be basically teaching. The first reason why we believe this, why we, why we take Scripture this way, is because Scripture tells us that we, the church, will be saved or spared from the wrath of God. Now, now we have to think about that. The wrath of God pertains to the tribulation period. It does not pertain to the hardships and difficulties that we, have, that we all have in life. Peter talked about it. James talked about it. Jesus even said, in this life you're going to have tribulation, but I've overcome this life. So trust me. He said, come to me all who are burdened and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. So we will have difficulties in life. That's not what this is referring to. This is referring to the wrath of God that's coming on the nations and upon Israel during the tribulation period. Think with me here. That uh, Think with me about Noah and family that were saved from the wrath of God during the flood. Think about Lot and family that were saved from the destruction of Sodom, 
you know, by their faith in the Lord. Think of Israel that was saved from the seven, uh, the ten plagues against Egypt. They were delivered from that. Think about Rahab that was saved from the invading army of Israel because of her faith in the Lord. In the same manner, think with me about this. So you're in First Thessalonians 4. Go to First Thessalonians 5 for just a minute. So chapter 5 continues with the same thought that Jesus is coming, the shout and the trumpet and all of that. But he says in verse number 5, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, that's another phrase for the second coming, so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, woman echoing the teaching of Jesus some years before, and they, shall, uh, and, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breast, breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Right here. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we were awake or asleep, whether we're dead or alive, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are now doing. So we can say with confidence, God has not called us to wrath. This is echoed in Romans 5.9, when Paul says to the Roman church, you will be saved from the wrath that is to come. So we can say with confidence that the church will not be here when that wrath of God comes upon the earth. So that alone should say, okay, what do I have to do to make sure I'm out of here when all this stuff comes down? We'll get to that in a minute. But, but can you discern the, to- the, the signs of the times? Can you discern uh, th- that Jesus is perhaps putting some things in order? Can you discern that, you know what, if nothing else... We are this much closer to the return of Christ than Paul ever was. 2,000 years went by. That alone should tell us something. Remember the parable of the, the ten virgins last week. How the bridegroom was going to come back within a certain time frame. Nobody knew when exactly he was going to come, but it had to be within that week. I think we're in that week right now. We're in that time frame where... Jesus could come back at any time. We're we're already there in that sense. So the first thing is, uh, we are saved from the wrath of God. Here's another one. Number two is this. We're saved from the hour of trial. With me in your Bible, if you can, to uh, Revelation chapter 3. In verse number 10, I I love this, Paul, I'm I'm sorry, John is addressing the church of uh, Philadelphia. And, uh, of course, Jesus is speaking through John, but uh, this is the word for the church of Philadelphia. Verse number 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. The hour of trial would be considered the tribulation time. Verse number 8 of that chapter says, I know your works. I've set before you an open door, no one shall shut it. For you have a little strength left, and you've kept my word, you've not denied my name. And because you've been faithful to me, I will be faithful back to you and keep you from the hour of trial that's coming down the pike. So I can... I can say the only way we could be saved from the hour of trial is to be physically removed from here. So let's say this doesn't happen for a hundred years from now. All of us are going to be dead. We're going to be dead in Christ. But the principle is still true. That whatever church is alive at that time, they will be spared from the hour of trial that will be coming. So we're saved from the wrath of God. We're saved from the hour of trial that's coming down the pike. The third thing is really good and really important to consider. 
We're saved from God's judgment upon Israel. Well, it makes sense that the church of Jesus Christ is a separate entity than the nation of Israel. So the tribulation, I am totally convinced of this through, through our th- three-year study of Revelation a few years ago, from our time with, uh, with Brother Seriano, his teachings, and different studies I've had. I am convinced that the tribulation period is designated primarily for Israel. And in order for that to happen, the church has to be out of the way. Although there will be a remnant of people who get saved during that time, which will constitute a church, but the church as we know it now will be raptured and taken out of here. So we won't turn to this, but Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, is the main passage where we get the 70-week teaching. You know, there'll be 69 weeks, then comes Messiah, Messiah will be cut off, then the 70th week will begin with the treaty with uh, the Antichrist in Israel. But that whole, verse number 24, Daniel 9.24 says this, the Lord speaking, 70 weeks are determined for your people. What are you, who are your people? Your people is Israel. He's speaking to Daniel, and Daniel's you know, Jewish, so, so this is to Israel. And so the 69 weeks prior to Messiah all dealt with Israel. The 70th week, when the 70th, 70th week begins, which is the last week, is the seven-year tribulation, will deal with Israel. The time in between is called the church age. We're in the church age right now. So we can, it makes sense when you think of it logically. God dealt with Israel the whole time. And then Messiah came. And Messiah was cut off. It says in Daniel 9, he was cut off. He was crucified on the cross. Of course, he came back. But at that time, the next thing that will happen will be the 70th week. Well, the 70th week didn't begin yet. It's waiting for the rapture of the church. And other things have to line up for that to take place. Such as the establishment of a peace treaty with Israel and the Antichrist. And the whole Middle East has to be reconfigured a little bit. But we're right on the verge of all of that. So what I'm saying is, based on all of that, when the 70th week begins, it will be to deal with Israel. Now, and Wednesday night, if you want a good Bible study, I'm not, I'm not saying anything, but the Word of God is so good. Wednesday night are such a blessing to me. To have 25, 30 people on there listening to the Word of God is awesome. But this past Wednesday, we were in a little section in Romans 11. And Paul says, he's on this kind of a tangent about Israel and God's plan for Israel. But he says something really interesting. He says, you know, when Messiah came, Israel rejected the Messiah. And now the Lord has turned to the Gentiles. And the, the door's wide open for all the Gentiles to come into the, the olive tree, grafted into the olive tree. But he says that regarding Israel, now that Israel, now that the Gentiles are getting saved, Israel is provoked to jealousy. As though, what happened to us? I thought we were the chosen ones. Well, now the chosen ones are anyone, Jew or Gentile, that accepts Christ. And when you think about Israel today, who who is friends with Israel other than Christians and Christian nations? Or at least Christian nations in name. Most of the world hates Israel. But the, the like we do, we love Israel, we support Israel, and some European countries do, but most nations hate Israel. But what's going to happen when the church is gone? What's going to happen to Israel when the church of Jesus Christ is no longer in favor of supporting Israel? They will be alone. People people hate Israel, as you know. But when the church is removed, it all makes sense because now they have no one else to depend on, no one else to turn to. They are stuck without a Savior other than Jesus Christ. And after seven years of turmoil and disaster they will come to a place of accepting Christ as their Messiah. That's why Paul says in Romans eleven twenty six, after he says, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes, which is after the seven-week tribulation, seven-year tribulation, the fullness of the Gentiles. So we're raptured. During this time, some Gentiles will get saved. But after that, the time is up. There's the fullness of the Gentiles has come. He says, then all of Israel will, will be saved. Wow. So that's telling me at the end of that seven-year time, Israel will finally come to their knees to accept Jesus as Messiah. They won't do it now. They haven't done it nationally. I mean, Jewish people have accepted Messiah, yes, and thank the Lord for that. But as a nation, it won't happen until after that seven-year tribulation period. But the point is, we, the church, will be removed so that all of that could happen.
Make sense? Okay, number four is this. I call it the escape clause. I love how the Bible and how God typically makes a, a way of escape for all of us. I mean, can you think back in your life how God has made a way of escape for you to get out of some mess you were in, some sin you were in, some difficulty you were in? He makes a way of escape. Well, regarding sin, I always go to 1 John 1, nine. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. That's an escape clause. But regarding the, the judgment and regarding the tribulation, regarding the wrath of God that's coming upon the, the world, Jesus was speaking here in Luke 21, verse 36. And he's speaking all about the second coming in, the, in this passage or this chapter in the chapter before. Jesus said in Luke 21, 36... Watch, therefore, and pray always that you will be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and, and you will stand be, and when you stand before the Son of God. But, but watch and pray so that you're counted worthy to escape the wrath of God that's coming. I don't know how that speaks to you. But that speaks life to my heart and my soul. Like all of this that we're doing is going to be worth something. And if we don't take care of it, well, we'll have to deal with another, another thing with the Lord. But we have an opportunity now to watch, to pray, to get ready, to escape the wrath of God that is surely coming. Again, think of Noah, escaped the flood. Think of Lot, escaped the fire and brimstone on Sodom. Think of Israel, that escaped the ten plagues of Egypt. Think of Joseph and Mary, that escaped King Herod when he was out to kill them when Jesus was born. Think about Moses as a little baby being put into a basket to escape the wrath of the, of the Pharaoh at that time. And he, he lived to become a great leader and a great man of God. There's always an escape route with the Lord. And he has provided a way. That way, and, and if I could just be basic, is through the blood of Jesus Christ. I always say there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to glory is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't care how you cut it, how you slice it, how you say it. It's Jesus' sacrifice that makes the way for us. That is our escape clause. Amen. And the last thing is this. I, I, we studied this when we were studying Revelation a few years ago on Wednesday nights. But there's going to be rewards in heaven. Now that most of us know that, you know, we'll be uh, honored. But the when is the issue. So we, 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 we hear teaching. Jesus taught in Matthew 6. He said, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where rust and moth devour and thieves come in and steal. But lay up treasures in heaven, you know, where that stuff doesn't happen. Paul talked about it, 2 Corinthians 5. He talked about the Bema Seat judgment. Christians will not be judged for salvation or not. They'll be judged for what they did with what they have on earth. They'll be judged for the works that they do. And they'll receive crowns and rewards. But in Revelation 8, uh, 11, verse 18, uh, the Lord is speaking here. And, and He's saying, there will be judgments on the earth. The nations will be angry. The wrath of God will be poured out upon the nations. But in heaven, in glory... Prophets and saints will be receiving rewards at the same time. So you, you fix that seven-year period, and we're out of here. And, and all this chaos on the earth, all the destruction, all the calamities, all the things that are going to happen, the different judgments. And the saints and the prophets are in heaven with the Lord, receiving their crowns and their rewards. Where would you rather be? I'm choosing up there. I always, thought, I always thought it was related to Revelation 19. This is just the way I think. I can't prove it, but the marriage supper of the Lamb is in Revelation 19. The bride has made herself ready. The bride is sitting down with the Lamb, eating together, no longer a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. We're eating a big dinner. In my mind, that's a great setting for an award ceremony. But that's just me. I can't prove it. But it just seems like that would be a good place to do it. Amen. <laughs> okay, so, so we have, we have we're, we're being saved from wrath. We're being saved from the hour of trial. We're not included with Israel's judgment and all that's going on there. Uh, we have an escape route that God has provided. And, uh, and we have rewards that are laid up for us in heaven. So hallelujah. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. He's going to come back for us. 
He's going to return. We're going to hear the shout and the sound of the trumpet. And the dead in Christ will arise. And we who remain will be caught up to be in the air to be with Him forever and ever. But in closing, I want to look at another passage. If you take your Bible one more time. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in your own heart and mind, ask yourself, is that happening right now? Well, this passage has been happening for 2,000 years. It's just that it's happening deeper right now. Can it go deeper than this? Maybe. But Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy's a leader in a church, and Paul's trying to give him some instruction. Paul says to Timothy, Know this, Timothy, that in the last days, and the last days have been going on since the book of Hebrews was written. So we've been in the last days a long time. Some people would say we're in the last of the last days, maybe. But that phrase, last days, it's not a new term. It's been, it's been in the church for a long time. But in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters and proud and blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. You know, you ever see these news reports when people are in such rebellion... They don't care who they hurt, who they offend. They will, they, their hearts are set in a certain way. They are angry and bitter. Verse 3, unloving, unforgiving. I've heard people say, I'll never forgive that person. It's very sad to be like that. Slanderers, without self-control. Well, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Self-control. Brutal. Yeah, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Man, there's a lot of that going on. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. I want to just pause right there for a minute. There are many churches that have a form of godliness but have no power of God within the movement. We see it in Haverhill. We see it all over the country. We see it all over the world. There are, there are people, so-called people of God, have a form of godliness in their services or in their organization, but have no power of God. Well, when I first moved here to Haverhill 13 years ago, uh, many, many of you know this, I went to the clergy meeting. I went to a couple of clergy meetings. And after two, I, I said to myself, well, I'm not going to go anymore. It's not, it's, not, it's not my cup of tea, I guess you could say. But there was no emphasis on Jesus There was no emphasis on the Word of God. There was no emphasis on prayer. They were doing good things in the name of God. I I give them credit. And some years later, an evangelical group was established. And so now I fellowship with people of like faith. And we pray together and we call upon the name of the Lord. But there are churches all over the world that have a form of godliness. But do not have the power of God in those churches. That's the problem. And they're doing good things. They sometimes they do some good things, but they're not basing it upon the word of God. I shared with you some time ago when we had our clergy meeting in Webster, Mass. Uh, some of the clergy came to our fellowship to, for a, a meeting. We prayed. We did all that we did when I when I would host it. And as we were going out the front door, somebody, one of the pastors, saw a prayer list on the table, and they said, "What is that?" I said, "That's our prayer list. We do a prayer list every month." And people take it home and they pray for those people in those situations. And they said, you really do that? I said, yes. Aren't we supposed to do that? But for that church and that denomination, they don't do that. And they were surprised that any church would still do that. I'm here to tell you, we do it. And we're going to do it until Jesus comes back. But there's a whole movement out there that looks godly, that has no power of God in it. It says in verse 5, stay away from such people. It sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? But you have to evaluate the churches, the movements that you want to be involved with. Then it goes on. Of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. Can you believe that? Godly, so-called godly people, have a form of godliness, come into to. To prey upon weak people. 
And they take advantage of weak people. All that's going on in the name of the God that they serve. Verse 7, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Man, I see that all the time. And I'm, let me say out front, I am all for education. I've got my education. I've got my degree. I'm ordained. I've got a thing on the wall. I'm all good with that. And if you're getting an education, bravo, you should get an education. But don't ever think that your education is going to save you. Because here, people will learn, and they'll learn, and they'll learn, and they'll learn, and they'll never come to the simple truth that Jesus Christ is the way. And that's the problem. We have people all over the world that are so educated. Bravo, you're educated, but you don't know Jesus. I I would prefer to be both, be educated and know Jesus, if, if you can. But education by itself will never save you or deliver you. They'll, they'll, they'll be all around education, always learning, always learning the latest thing, the latest fad, the latest thing down the pike, but never coming to the truth that Jesus Christ, His bloodshed on Calvary, is the means of salvation. And He gives a few examples of people that did that. So I, I, want, to, I just want to say this in closing. We are living in the last days. Take it however you want to take it, but we've been living in the last days for 2,000 years. But the last days become more last days as the clock ticks. Sooner or later, something's going to happen. So I want to tell you this. We must be a people of prayer. We're praying and fasting for a month. That's why we pray every Monday night, 630. We pray, we pray every Sunday night. We have a prayer meeting on live stream. We believe in the power of prayer. And let me say something else, just a little footnote on the topic of prayer. If you... If you set yourself and determine in your heart you're going to be praying. Let's say you're going to pray every day for 20 minutes. And you do that. I will guarantee you your life will change. And some of it will be, some of it will hurt you. Because God will reveal where you're at. And the the dirt will become exposed. In other words, you can't spend time in the presence of God and stay the way you were before. If you determine you're going to pray, just fasten your seatbelt. Because God will expose the dirt in your life to you. But that's good. Just be ready for it. We need to be a people that repent. You know, just repent before God and keep short accounts with God. You know, repent. You know, just come clean before the Lord all the time. We need to be a people that worship God. You know, I, I enjoy our worship times every Sunday so much. I, I do. And I think back, you know, in my early Christian years, how worship was different back in the day. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you'll know what I mean. But a generation ago, most of the singing we did was doctrine-oriented. The great hymns of the church have great doctrine. Great is thy faithfulness, uh, blessed assurance, it is well with my soul, etc. Great doctrine. We sang, and I learned a lot of doctrine through the worship, actually. But in the last 15, 20 years or so, if you've noticed, everything has changed in the worship services. We have different songs, different choruses, different music styles, and now we're more focused on actually worshiping. And hopefully we can worship with the proper doctrine on the screen. But you can see the transition went from doctrine to now doctrine and worshiping. And so we need to be a people that will worship God. And it's not, it's not what you might think. It, it, it may not be singing, Great is thy faithful. Although that's a great hymn. I love the hymn. And we can worship the Lord with that hymn. But sometimes God wants us to just rest and meditate and be in his presence without any singing. Maybe without any music even. Or just have music playing in the background. People call that soaking, soaking in the presence of God, right? So, so we need to be a people that do that. But when we do that, you have to understand, people in the world will think that we're really crazy. And other people in other churches may think that we're crazy because they don't do it that way. But we need to develop a worshiper's heart. That we can worship the Lord with our song. We can worship the Lord with our lifestyle. Right? We can worship the Lord at home. We can worship the Lord in the church. Wherever we are, we worship God. Our lives are a worship to the Lord. Not just a, a hymn that we sing or a song that we sing. Our very lives are a worship to the Lord. So we need to be a people of prayer. 
of repentance, of worship. We need to be a people that love the Word of God. Can I stress it enough? I don't know. We need to be a people that love the Word of God. We love to read it. We love to meditate on it. We love to try to figure out what's going on. We dig deeper into it. We go to Bible studies. We hear preaching of the Word. This, the Word of God, is the only thing that will never change or never run out. It will last forever, the Scripture says. Everything else will pass away. The Word of God will last forever. And we need to be a people that desire and enjoy and see the value of Christian fellowship. Because we're a people of like faith. We need to have people around us that we could relate to. And when somebody is down, somebody picks us up. When we're up, vice versa, someone's there to help us. And we need to be in this thing together. This is God's design to be a part of fellowship within the church. So one more passage of scripture. Um, it's on the screen, but 1 John chapter 3. Read it, and then we should probably read it together. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. John writes to the church he's writing to, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, when he comes again, we shall be like him. This lowly body, hallelujah, bye-bye flesh, will be transformed into a glorious body, for we shall see him as he is. That's the rapture right there. Verse 3, and everyone who has this hope in him. So we love that song, Soon and Very Soon, Andre Crouch, going on since he wrote that song probably 1978 or so. That's a long time to be a, a popular song. I still clap my hands and sing it when I hear it. I, I still, it still moves me now. But if we have this hope in us, we then purify ourselves just as He is pure. How do we purify ourselves? We become people of prayer. We become people of repentance. We become people of worship. We become people of the Word. We become people of fellowship. Today, next week, next month, next year, year after that, next decade, whatever, until Jesus comes back again. So soon and very soon, Lord, come. That's why John ends the book of Revelation by saying, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. I said to Pam the other day, you know, because we keep hearing these different things on the internet, you know, different people have dreams and insights into what's happening and all these calamities are going to happen. My reaction is, you know what, if something's going to happen, let's get the show on the road. Let's go. I'm ready to go. Let's stop talking about it. <laughs> Although, we have nothing to do with it, really. We can talk about it all we want. It's up to God to do what He's going to do. I'm just saying, if all this stuff is true, I'm out of here, church. I hope that you're out of here, too. But if we're going to say soon and very soon, we better be ready. It could happen today. In that case, let's stand together and pray. Hallelujah. Amen. Soon and very soon. <laughs> Every head bowed because this is the moment of truth right here. Okay. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I didn't say this, but th this is what's going to happen. So there's going to be a rapture. And then there'll be people left for seven years. And if you're left, you'll have a chance to repent and receive the Lord. You will. But wouldn't it be better to leave with everybody else. <laughs> I mean, so I want to give an opportunity for anyone here today to receive Jesus. Simply receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to renew your commitment. Just raise your hand if that's you. I want to receive Jesus. I want to, I want to make sure I'm out of here when the trumpet sounds. Yes, thank you over there. Anybody else? I want to receive Jesus. All right. I'm going to pray. Dear Father, Lord, with this person, Lord, Lord, we rejoice. When, when someone, Lord, your word says when, when, when a sinner repents, that the angels in heaven rejoice. So Lord, we rejoice when someone raises their hand and say, yes, I need Jesus. 
Meaning, I need to repent. I, I know I need to repent. I need to open my heart. I need to ask them to come in. But Lord, we rejoice with our, with our friend this morning. And we pray, we pray as one, Lord God, forgive us of our sins. We put our faith and trust in you, Lord Jesus. We believe in you. You died for our sins. You died on the cross. You were buried. You rose again on the third day. And then 40 days later, you ascended into glory with the promise to come back again. And so, Lord, in the meantime, here we are. And I want you to be my personal Lord and Savior. So, Lord God, humbly I ask you, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. And I thank you for that, Lord. Father, I also want to pray for anyone else that, that feels like we need to renew our commitment. Lord, we all of us, we want to renew our commitment to you. We want to confess sin before you and, and repent and, and turn a new page and start a new day right now. And so, Lord, just uh, you, your word says that you who started the work in Philippians 1.6, you're faithful to complete that work until the day. So, Lord, complete that work that you started. And some of us a long time ago, others not so long ago, but Lord, complete that work until the day of Jesus Christ. We don't want to be left behind, Lord. Forgive us and establish us and encourage us and empower us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, on that note, I would pray for this fellowship to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be baptized with fire and authority from God, to be good witnesses in this wicked and perverse generation in which we live. We pray, Lord, that you would fill each one of us with a power to be a strong witness for you, with our families, our friends, our workplace, our school place, our community, where we shop, where we live. Let us be a witness for you, Lord. And let us be filled with your Holy Spirit to do that. So Lord, as we, as we leave this place today, let us leave encouraged. Let us leave with expectancy that Jesus, you probably are getting ready to come. We don't know when. But it seems like you're getting ready to come. It seems like the place you're preparing for us in heaven is just about completed. So, Lord, help us to be ready to hear that trumpet sound and the sound of the shout and, 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 and the voice of the archangel. Let us be ready for that glorious, glorious day. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen.